How we doing? Good. Is it not like just, I mean, they just like do it. I mean, is that, are they not, and I know we don't clap for them, but just, I mean, and I know we've got more out here that, that help and are a part as well, but I mean, my gosh, I mean, it's just like, they just open, like just talking and it just happens. It's just phenomenal that God has blessed us how he has uh, with men and women. And the, the thing, and this is what I want to say, um, and the thing is this, is those that stand on the stage are not just people that just sing, and these are people that love Jesus and follow Jesus and everything, and um, man, I just thank you for your heart and thank you for that, and for the men and women that lead up here and lead us into his presence through song, it's just phenomenal. And you, young lady, right here, you, and you, you do it, girl. Gosh. It, it was funny, like Eric and I were talking this week, and it's like, you, I mean, you don't even know what you're doing, and you just, and not that you, you know what you're doing, you're singing, like you know that. That's probably this horrible wording, but I mean, you, you just do it like you just, it just happens and, and that is amazing and the thing I think I love about you is your humility and uh, just, I mean, you just keep following Jesus and you do that you hear me you just you shine Jesus from here in your schools everywhere and so man I just thank you guys so much for serving uh, week in and week out and um, uh, so we're going to jump in here in a few moments John chapter 5 is where we'll start we'll have some different scriptures that we're going to look at different places that will uh, be this morning. Um, so you can be turning there, uh, just kind of give you a little update on me. Last week I was uh, out of the uh, time zone, um, out, of, out of town uh, on a wedding. Uh, and so there's somebody that uh, I have known for a really long time that uh, is a good friend of mine that um, was getting married. And so I had the, the honor and privilege to be there for that and uh, be a part of that. And so um, being there last week was, was, was good to kind of be away. And, just, um, and what I say is good as this is just a fresh reminder uh, in some conversations that I had the, the privilege and honor to have with, with people. One with him, uh, to continue to pour into him and love on him and with his uh, new bride, the conversations that I got to have there with, with her and the two of them. And then also uh, just to meet new people in different places and, and to see different perspective. It was a destination wedding, so it being a destination wedding means you go off somewhere and as you go off somewhere, the place that we went um, was just, just reminded of, man, I guess just the lostness in our world. And so to have the, the honor to be able to just to talk to people and be reminded of, of why we do what we do, why we even exist, I believe it just, uh, for that, just kind of even just um, hammers home all the more what we're going to be talking about this morning as we finish up this little mini-series that we've been in in regards to discipleship. As, as we wind down this little four-week series where we've just looked at what discipleship is and what we, what we believe God wants His church to be about what we believe God wants his people to be about and to be doing. And so like I said, the last three weeks, we've looked at discipleship. And I believe discipleship is something uh, that we need to be reminded of often. I believe it's something that we need to visit often. It's something that, that we need to look at and we need to take heart with and, and just dive into it. Uh, because the reality is this, who struggles with following Jesus every moment of every day? And I'm not just doing it trying to lead you into like, yeah, absolutely right here. This brother right here, I, it is a struggle. And so hearing about something one time is not going to produce immediate obedience. And I think the illustration that I've given you and the illustration that I'll give you because it just happened in my house last night is that of a kid, right? You, you tell them to do something and do they do it? Hmm. That's just like last night. We, we are in, we had a little golf tournament with our oldest and so we get back and what do we do? We hit the door. He did so good. Shoes went outside at the door and I'm like, yes, we're, like, we're, we're doing this thing. Like I've been preaching, it's happening. Somehow he's hearing it through the walls maybe. Something's going on. Until I walk around uh, the house and I see there's a sock behind a chair. Uh-uh. There is a dirty sock behind a chair. And I have learned my lesson. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but not this little guy. So I'm like, hey, bud. He's like, hey. I'm like, where, where do our dirty clothes go? In the dirty clothes. <laughs> I said, was it over behind the chair? Oh, I, I was going to get it. Were you? Were you Really? Like, like he was going to get to it just, just a little bit later right now. Like I'm iPad right now, Dad. I'm, like, I'm, in, I'm into something. And, and so I've, I've given you that illust illustration to kind of show and say, hey, just because you tell them over and over and over, they're not going to get it all the time. And we're no different, are we? We're no different. We're no different either. That, that just because something's proclaimed and preached or we read it or we look at it in the Word over and over and over doesn't mean that we're going to follow it out in obedience and execute it in obedience perfectly every time. Let me try to give an example of what I'm talking about or kind of show you why, uh, why I believe we struggle with this. And so this is not a raise your hand question, so, so please don't do that. But I guess my question to try to illustrate my point would, would be this. Who, who this month has met consistently with someone to help them mature and grow in their relationship with Jesus? 
Not to get with someone or friends that you hang out with all the time. And yeah, there's probably some rub toward Jesus, but I'm talking about intentionality. I'm talking about serious conversation about what God's doing in your life and how he's pressing on you and maybe struggles that you have and, and different things like that. Who, I mean, who has met with someone like that? Not just to get together and talk about the game or watch the game or go to movies. And we need just fellowship, relationship type time. But I'm talking about the intentional type time whereby we pour into, whereby we have those difficult conversations, whereby it gets a little, it gets a little awkward. There's tension maybe in conversation or things like that whereby we, we discuss the deep, difficult things of life. I mean, who, who's done that for the sole purpose, entering into a relationship like that, meeting consistently? Once a month isn't consistently. Meeting consistently. Two times a month, I don't believe is consistent. Meeting consistently whereby we have those kind of conversations for the sole purpose of me releasing this person that I'm meeting with, pouring into, for them to go pour out their life in someone else and do the same thing. And so I just, I just believe we need to hear about this often. We need to visit this often until we, uh, until we do a better job or, or at least are serious and dedicated to it. We're gonna continue to visit and look at it. And besides, this is a heartbeat of who we are as the people of God. I mean, these are some of Jesus' last words. Go make disciples of all nations. That's some of the stuff that he told his disciples, his boys, gathered in that room as he appears before them. I want you to be about this. Church, I believe we need to be about this. All of our energy, all of our efforts, everything that we do needs to circle around this. And so I believe if Jesus is going to remind us of that, some of his last words is something that we need to take serious and we need to look at. So week one, what we looked at was just defining what discipleship is. One who's a believer, one who's being changed by the Lord, one who's on mission with Jesus. And then week two, we get to it and we look at the cost of making disciples, the cost that goes in, what Jesus requires and asks of us. And then last week, holy cow, last week, we look at as we enter into what discipleship is, and as a, a good friend of mine got to be here and he got to preach and, and teach about that, as somebody that's very passionate about discipleship as well, somebody uh, that I've known for a long time, and, and I just want to I just want to say this that anybody who stands on this stage and proclaims God's word is going to be somebody who uh, who is loving Jesus, following Jesus, who uh, has a real relationship with Christ, who knows the scriptures, who is dedicated and serious to the scriptures. And so as I asked him a few months ago if he'd be willing to step in and, and proclaim this after I had talked to Tyler and found out that they had the pilgrimage planned and he wasn't going to be able to be here and then some things fell through with dates. And then as I watched last week and I'm like, ah, God, I know, I see why you did that. And he got to stand up here and he got to proclaim what the gospel is. He got to proclaim what faith looks like, what coming to Jesus is like, and how that's the first step. And then once we come to faith in Jesus, then what happens is this, is that we, now it's just we start to grow and mature. We need to grow and mature closer to Jesus and be changed by Jesus. And so today I want to look at what that means to be a mature disciple. I want to look at what it could look like and what it should look like. And so spiritual maturity is more than just knowledge. Spiritual maturity is more than just knowing a bunch of stuff. I can have knowledge, but unless I do something with the knowledge that I have, is it really worth much? I mean, I can know all the Bible verses in the world. I can know Jesus front and back, left and right, up and down. I can know Jesus, but if I don't do anything with the knowledge that I have, the verses that, that I've memorized or, or looked at or God has implanted in my heart, or if I don't do something with the relationship with Jesus that I have, then is it really worth anything? Is it really accomplishing? Am I really mature in that? And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be mature in our walk. And so I'm going to ask you if you'll join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into John chapter 5. Father God, we, God, we seek you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would move and speak and make your presence known in this place. God, I realize that when we talk about maturity, it can sting a little bit. But I would like to thank myself. I'm doing pretty good. But God, the reality is this, is that I've got a long way to go. And I'd be willing to bet that the majority of us in this room are at the same place. And God, the way that I know that is looking at your word. And the way that I know that is that we're still here. You've got a lot to teach us, a lot to challenge us with, a lot to encourage us with, a lot to change us into. And so God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do a work in this place, unmatched by anything that we have ever seen, known, or experienced. God, that, that you would do a work changing us and shaping us and molding us into the image of your beloved Son. God, if it needs to sting, let it sting. God, because what I've learned is this, is that when it stings, you come right behind it with a salve to help heal and to help press us on toward you. So God, do a work in this place. God, save the lost. 
God, help those that are struggling with sin break the chains. God, help us take one step closer in obedience and maturity to you today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so John chapter 5 is what we're going to get to. The simplistic answer uh, of maturity in the Bible is, is this. This is what we're going to look at for just a couple minutes. What, what is the answer uh, to maturity uh, in the Bible belt? And so uh, some would say to just know God's word. If you just know God's word, that shows that you're mature. That shows that you've grown in your faith and that you're mature in where you need to be. And so uh, I would just like to say, yes, that's true, but that can also not be true. And so if you understand what the Bible is, that, that's very well true. But if you don't understand what the scriptures are, what the Bible is, it's very much not true. So if you understand that the scriptures is pointing you to someone, okay, that's very true. But if you believe that the scriptures terminate on themselves, then it just shows not to be true. Look, look at what John 5.39 says. John 5.39 says this. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. It's not just the scriptures, it's about who the scriptures are about. It's about who the scriptures attest to. He says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Is the scriptures known the scriptures maturity? Yes and no. Possibly and possibly not. Solo scriptura in the Latin, solo scriptura, the whole point is to know the Bible. Just to know the Bible, just to be familiar and understand and know it with no true obedience, no true longing to follow it, no true longing to grow in maturity with it. So solo scriptura, uh, that's sin. Just to know the scriptures, just to know the scriptures is not the reason why we approach God's word. That's what Jesus was saying here in John chapter 5. But sola scriptura, what it does is it points you to Jesus and it furthers your relationship with Christ. The whole point, sola scriptura, the whole point is the fact of who the scriptures attest to, testify of, make us known of is Jesus. That's, that's where the heart needs to be. I don't, read the, I don't read the Bible just to read the Bible. A couple Wednesday nights ago, I was uh, kind of sharing with you my uh, accomplishments over the last few uh, weeks. And so I did not realize this, but if you want to keep track of how holy and awesome and great you are, there's a Bible app, and in that Bible app, it keeps record of how often you visited it. And so I'm about 165 times in this past year being in this Bible app. Yeah. And so then I realized that it keeps count of the streak that you're on. I mean, is this not awesome? I mean, I can get in the Word, and then I can brag about being in the Word, and I can show people like, uh-uh, your pastor, 170-something days, baby, this year. This year's not over, and I don't know when I started, but it's not over. 365, that's what I'm going for. And look, look, I'm on like a, I'm on like a, a four-week streak of never missing being in the Word on my app. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is good stuff. And then I went on to say, but the problem with that is this, is that I got so wrapped up in the numbers, I got so wrapped up in my accomplishments that I couldn't quite remember what I read that morning. Yeah, that stings, don't it? I mean, does that not, is, that, is that not a picture? Okay, so it's all about the scriptures and being in the word, but is it really about being in the word if you don't even know what you were in the word for? And see, that's what I'm trying to illustrate here. That's what I'm trying to, to share with you and tell you. You can be in the Word all day long, but if your heart and your motive is not to know Jesus more, not to remember more about Jesus, not to stir up worship and uh, gratitude to Jesus as a result of being in His Word, then why are you in His Word? Sola Scriptura, all about Jesus, knowing Him more, growing in Him, desiring, longing Him so much more. Not just knowing, not just being in the Word for the sake of being in the Word. That's what it's got to be about. Do the scriptures make you mature? Yes, and possibly no. Everyone in here knows people, knows people that knows the Bible, but you wouldn't trust them with your kids. You know what I'm talking about. There are those people that you know and that you're familiar with that, that, that know the word of God and they'll remind you of the word of God. The brother with the hard heart just waiting for you to pray something wrong at dinner. You mean you were up to 11.30 last night watching the football game? Brother and sister, when have you ever been up to 11.30 in the word of God? You watched for four hours straight, even commercials? When was the last time you prayed for four hours straight? May God forgive you, your wretched soul. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. 
The hard-hearted brother who, who, who is real quick, the Bible thumper, the, the turn burner, you're gonna fry like a sausage guy. Like you, we, we know people like that. I grew up in that realm. That, that's my back, that's where I came from. That, that's where, that's where I, I grew up, the, the culture that I was in growing up. I mean, we're, we're gonna do King James Version only, we're gonna be like this, and you're gonna do this, and you're gonna stop doing this, no rated R movies, none of this, you don't, you don't think like that, you don't talk like that. You're not in the Word 10 hours a day, you're living in sin, brother. I just showed you I can be in the Word for three minutes and not remember what I just read. We know people like that. We know the guy on the corner with the megaphone screaming at everybody they're going to hell, but not walking with anybody and showing them the love of Christ. So is it the scriptures that make us mature and that bring us along? Yes and no. Is it knowing the Bible? Yes. But is it knowing the Bible? No. I think another simplistic answer for maturity in the Bible about is this. Just, just pretend Christian maturity is behavior modification. And that's something that we've, we've wrestled with forever in the church. If we can just get these people to listen and do. If they'll just listen and do and be and we put all these requirements and expectations upon them because we are scared to death if they don't. If we can just change their behavior, then everything will be okay. So if we find out they used to cuss like this, now they only cuss like this. They, they used to cuss like a sailor, now they're just dropping four, five, six words a day. So they, I mean, they're, they're doing good, they're loving Jesus. Well, you don't have to love Jesus not to cuss. Like you know that, right? That's not the only, that's, that, it's not, you see what I'm saying? Or I used to get drunk all the time, now I just have four, five, six, seven beers before I go to bed at night. Behavior modification. Or, or I used to be real aggressive and angry toward my family, now I'm only aggressive and angry toward my family when they don't listen to me. You see what I'm saying? Behavior modification does not prove maturity. It does not prove maturity. And so in the church for so long, we've been scared to death to preach on Christian liberty or to preach on grace. We can't truly expound on grace like it needs to be expounded upon because if we do, then what people might hear is you mean to tell me that, that Jesus does it all? Absolutely Jesus does it all. And his grace forgives me and covers a multitude of sin. That's what the scripture teaches. And so it's all about his grace. Yes. And our fear in the church has always been, if you tell them about grace, then people will run off and do whatever they want to do. Live however they want to live. Why? Because it's about God's grace. And doesn't he forgive every time? Absolutely. But what I would press back with is this, is if you live that way or you think that way, what it proves and shows is that you don't know what grace is. You don't understand what the grace of Jesus Christ is. And probably more than anything, you're probably sitting in the very place that was preached upon last week. It's this mentality, if I can sin now and repent later, it just shows that you don't understand the grace of the cross and who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. No, grace gives me a glad heart. Grace gives me a heart that, that, that wants to obey, wants to be obedient, wants to follow, wants to cherish and value Jesus all the more. I mean, whenever you realize that you've went from death to life, I'm not gonna take advantage of the, the life that was given to me. I'm not just gonna use it however I want to and I'll just pray and repent whenever and get, get my heart right whenever I need to, although I love Jesus, but I'm not gonna follow him, but I say I'm gonna love him and I'll follow him when it's convenient, but I'm gonna live like hell through the rest of the week. It just shows that we don't have a clue about what grace is or what about the cross is about or what the gospel stands for. And so we get all amped up about behavioral modification. And so often what we do is this, is we set the bar down here, real, real low, when the bar should be set where it should be, up high. And so we set the bar down and we say, look at, what, look, look at how I'm tearing it up. It used to be like this, now I'm like this. So I used to act like that, now I act like this. Although it rears its head every once in a while and I don't really, it's just the bar's down here so low. And so we, we set it down so low. When church, the reality is this, the bar is Jesus. The bar is Jesus. How we're to act and behave should be based solely upon what Jesus says and who he is and what he's called us to be and do. Like, you get that, right? There's not a staff person here that sets the bar. And I think I'm pretty good. But I'm not even close. And the more I read scripture, the more that I seek Jesus, the more that I walk with other believers, I see that. The bar is not Scott Miller. The bar is not Eric Childers. The bar is not Tyler West. The bar is not a, a staff person in the place, a pastor on the planet. The bar is always Jesus. You want to compare how you're doing to someone else? You want to see how your behavior matches up? Look to Jesus every time. Every time. 
Every time it's Jesus, not man. Paul says this, imitate me only as I what? Imitate Christ. That's what I would beg of you. Only follow, listen, and do the things that I do that represent Jesus and look like him and are from him. There are times in my life when I don't. There are times in my life that God corrects me and, 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 and convicts me. And what I do, I run back to him and I repent and I ask him to break my heart and help me hate the things that he hates. Help me follow after him. Why? Because he's the bar. I mean, I mean, it's easy. I mean, I could look at my bum neighbor and be like, but look, they hit their wife and they cuss their wife and they kick the dogs in the neighborhood and they do all that stuff. Jesus, I don't do that, so I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I'm here three times a week and I'm, I'm nailing it. They don't ever go. Neighbor so-and-so never goes. But neighbor so-and-so is not the bar, are they? No, it's Jesus. If you want to compare your behavior to someone, you always look to Jesus. So in the end, we say behavior modification is spiritual maturity. And hear me, it is. A heart transformed should represent that the heart should represent the one that's transforming it. So absolutely spiritual maturity is behavior modification. But possibly spiritual maturity is not behavior modification. It's not behavior modification. Galatians 2.21 says it like this. It'll be on the screen for you. And Paul says to the believers in Galatia, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If a right standing with God comes through the law, knowing and obeying and following the law to a T, then, then what Jesus did was for nothing. That, that's what Paul is saying. Now that I'm living right, I'm, I'm maturing, but also you could change the way you behave and have nothing to do with Jesus. It have nothing to do with God. You could just finally get fed up and get sick and tired of always getting in trouble about something or get fed up and get sick and tired about always uh, uh, being uh, uh, out of the loop or being uh, uh, discontinued, or not discontinued, but set aside or being whatever, and you could just get finally just get tired of that and make some changes in your life. I mean, willpower happens all the time, does it not? All the time it happens. I'm just gonna try harder, I'm just gonna do better, I'm finally sick and tired of being sick and tired, and so I'm gonna make some changes in my life and I'm gonna do some stuff. It can have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. Absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And Paul says, no, righteousness with God cannot be purchased by the law. Because if it could, then Jesus died for no reason. So is it knowing the word? Yes and no. Is it changing your behavior? Yes and no. And so I just want to give you some signs of, of Christian maturity, spiritual maturity. The first one I want to give you is I've got three. The first one is this, our joy is set fully in Christ. Our joy is set fully in Christ. And so for the last six years of being here, I've, I've said this over and over and over, happiness versus joy. And, and what we've learned and what we know is happiness is just simply emotional. It's just emotional mess is what it is. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is surface level. Happiness is, is not joy. Happiness is based upon circumstances and situations. Let me, let me prove it to you. And this is going to sting, so just hang with me for a second. All you Gamecock fans out here. Start out 0-1, what do we do? We, we need a new quarterback. Thank God he broke his foot. I mean, I hate that he broke his foot. We will pray that he heals fast and can transfer to another qualifying school. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. And so then we get the second stringer. And what does he do? He puts up 70 on a, a, a 3A high school team. And we're like, we found it. We still have a chance for the playoffs. Until what? A semi-pro team rolls into town and it's Alabama. And we hang with them. We hang with them for a few quarters, kind of, maybe. Or in our minds, we did. And so we're happy. We're feeling good. Okay, this is all great. We're, okay, we're turning the program around. We, oh, no playoffs this year for us, but we can make a decent bowl. And then what happens? We play a par team this past week. And we get it handed to us. New quarterback. New quarterback. When is it? Let's transfer this kid and get it. I mean, is it not crazy? What is that? It's just an emotional roller coaster based upon something that's ever changing and something that's not solid. It's a college football team for Pete's sake. And I'm in the same boat right now. We're setting three and one thing. I'm going to make the playoff until we get into the bulk of our, our schedule and we get blasted. Well, because we're not good. The Mountain, I know that we're not good, but in my heart of hearts, I want to believe. And I think by some chance me screaming at my TV a little louder and cheering for him harder and wearing my jersey on Saturdays will do it, but it doesn't until we lose that game. And I'm like, I'm a Clemson fan. <laughs> At least they can win. They got a good quarterback. But you see what I'm saying? What is that? That's emotion. That's happiness based upon something. Church joy is based upon something that's never changing. 
that's consistent and can't be robbed from us, regardless of circumstance or situation. And joy is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ is where, where it's found. See, the, th- the thing is, many people want God for something other than, than God. They want him for a goal. What can we get out of him? What can he do for us? See, the mature person does not use God like he's a genie in a bottle, like he's Aladdin. We don't do that. You don't use God for a means to an end. Dear God, if only my marriage would get better, then I'll. If my kids would just act right, then I'll. If my finances just turn around, God, then I'll. That's using God for a means to an end. And what we do is we set ourselves up and we believe something that God's never promised us. Hear me, church. If God never does another thing for us, he's done too much. That's what the cross testifies of. That's what the cross reminds us of. If God never does another thing for us, he's done too much by sending his son to die for us to be a sacrifice for us. That's where our joy lies, the fact of the matter that our eternity is set with him forever. Forever. All this other stuff fails in comparison and will always leave us empty. Always. The goal always has to be God. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be when joy can be taken from us. And the only joy that can't be taken from us is Christ. Every other joy can be stolen. I love my wife and I love my kids, but they're not my joy. And this Jerry Maguire mentality, you complete me, hocus pocus ridiculousness is damaging the church more than it is helping her. Because, baby, where you as much as I love you, you don't complete me. As much as I love those boys, they don't complete me. And you're not my everything. Jesus is my everything. That's my everything. And you know what? She would say the exact same thing. I'm, <laughs> I must have everything with you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's just be honest. If this is her everything, I am sorry. It's Jesus. He is our everything. He is the one that can't be stolen. He is the joy. If, what, if something happens to her, then my whole system crumbles. If something happens to my boys, and God forbid it ever does, and if you've walked through that, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. We've got some friends right now that's, that's looking like they're going to step into that, and, and my heart breaks and is crushed for that, and that is horrific, and I'm in the same place as you. God, why would you do that? But kids are not your everything. Spouses are not your everything. Work is not your everything. Your everything has to be Jesus. If not, your whole system will fall apart. Your whole everything, your world will be crushed when something horrific happens. I can remember a few years ago, I was back in West Virginia on a mission trip, and um, I had this teacher that, uh, that I knew really well in high school, um, and she was like our creative uh, writing teacher, and um, just, just, just a, a, a wonderful woman, wonderful lady, a, a godly lady, upon which I wasn't as familiar with in high school as I, I am today, and, and I can remember going back, and her her son is somebody that was in my class growing up. We did elementary school all the way up through high school together. We played sports together. I was at his house. He was at my house. And so uh, we knew each other really, really well. And so she has three kids. And so um, I, can just, I can remember um, uh, going back and having conversation with her. And, it was, and it's like this type of conversation that just, um, just rocks you to the core, that just stays with you. There's certain conversations you have with people that, that, that just stick and so I can remember talking to her, and the reason why it was uh, so um, just life-changing, I believe, for me was because of what she's been through. And she had four kids. She has four kids. The one boy was in my class, and I can remember talking to her. And so years ago, um, just doing her thing, minding her own business, living life, and she gets that dreaded call that nobody wants to get. Something's happened to one of your kids. You need to come to the hospital right now. And for whatever reason, God in his sovereignty decided it was time to take this kid home. So she's rocked, like any parent should be, would be. A few years later, she gets that call again. There's a kid at the hospital. You need to come. And this was my buddy that I did school with, played sport, all that stuff. He'd been in an accident. He'd been shot. His life's taken. She gets the call one more time. Three out of four 
And I'm just like, I mean, God, are you serious? One's horrific. God, are, really? God, you're cruel. God, you're, God, are you, what? And I can remember being in a few years ago and having a conversation with her on this mission trip. And she's like, Scott, I would have, I did fall apart and I was a mess. But if Jesus wasn't my everything, I would have never made it. And there were times I shook my fist at him. And there were times that I cussed him and I yelled at him and I screamed at him. And you know what he did in response to that? He just loved me and hugged me all the more and pulled me all the tighter. And he just showed me of his faithfulness and his goodness, even in the storm. And he just showed me that he could be my everything. And as I pressed into him more, though it stung and though it hurt, God wanted to use this for his glory and for his greatness somehow in some way. He's like, Scott, do you know what happened at their funerals? Every one of them, every funeral, somebody comes to know Jesus in a personal way. Somebody gets saved. Life changes happen. One life lays down while another life is raised. She's like, it hurt, and it was the worst thing, and I would never wish that upon anybody. But what Jesus did in those moments with my relationship with him and what he did in the life of someone else, you can't say that unless Jesus is your treasure. You can't say that and live that unless Jesus is your everything. And church, what I'm saying is this, Christian maturity, our joy has to be set fully in Jesus, fully in Jesus. He's got to be our treasure. I mean, look at the apostle Paul. Was he not the same way? You couldn't touch the man. Whether life was good or life was difficult, as long as it gets him closer to his treasure, then what did he do? He rejoiced in it. You you throw him in prison to try to shut him up. He just converts all your guards. You you take him outside and you threaten to stone him and kill him. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You do nothing with him. Then he goes on preaching the gospel. You couldn't touch the man. You couldn't touch, you beat him up and you wear him out and you flog him. He says, who am I to endure the same marks of Christ? I mean, you couldn't touch the man. Why? Because his treasure was Jesus. His joy was Jesus. Not circumstances or situations. The second sign of Christian maturity is this. Our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord. It's this thought of I can't do it, I can't do it. Only God can do it. Only God can do it. And so we lack in maturity because we're, we're much too confident in ourselves. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And so in that, we, we don't pray well. We're not hungry for the scriptures. Uh, uh, we, uh, the way we walk through suffering, the way we think that God has betrayed us, our lack of giving, our lack of serving, all of those things point back to the reality that our strength is in us and not Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says this, but he said to me, this is Paul writing to the believers in Corinth of what what Jesus has said to him, what God has pressed upon his heart and said to him. But he said to me, and I just, just a little side. I don't know if anybody else doesn't like scripture sometimes. This is like one of those that I just don't like. You know, I mean, I mean I, this, this is difficult. I, I just think sometimes, like, God, are you just being hateful sometimes? No, 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 he's loving and he's teaching us and he's helping us to mature and he's showing us and he's pressing us toward himself. But look at what Paul says. He said to me, God has said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It means my grace is enough. I've given you everything that you need, Paul. I'm walking with you. I'm there for you. My grace is sufficient for you. He says, for my power is made what? Perfect how? In weakness. Huh. So the power and majesty and might of our God is perfected in weakness. Who's weak? Absolutely, we are, right? We're the weaker vessels. We're weak vessels. We're jars of clay. That is, all of that is us. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, as a result of his power being made perfected in weakness in us, he's sufficient, all of those things. Therefore, this is Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. That really seems like our culture, doesn't it? No, 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 no. Our culture is, look, look what I can do. Look at how strong I am. Look at what I've got going on. Look at what I've accomplished. Me, 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 my, 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 my. Look, look at me. Look at how I've, I've worked hard and I've done this. I've done, and Paul says, no, no, no. His, his power, his might, his majesty, his glory is, is perfected, what, in our weakness. So what am I going to do? I'm going to boast on our weakness. These are the areas that I struggle in. These are the areas that I'm not good at. These are the areas that, that, that I'm just not knocking it out of the park. So when I do walk out obedience in those areas, who gets glory, me or God? God. 
Why? Because I'm not good at that. I'm horrible in that area. I suffer and struggle and flop around like a fish out of water in those areas because I'm just not good, whether I'm not gifted, whether it's just a struggle, whether it's just sin in my life, whatever it may be. I'm gonna boast all the more gladly in my weakness. Why? Look at what he says. This, he gives us the reason, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Church, to be strong, you gotta be weak. You want to be strong, you be weak, you empty yourself of you, and you let the Lord fill you with his presence, with his power, with his might. You let him do a work in you. You let him do the work in you so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, look at this, for the sake of Christ, this is where it gets ugly. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, Listen to this. For the sake of Christ, for his sake, his glory, his majesty being made known then I am content. What does content mean? I'm satisfied, I'm okay, I've landed in this place. God, if this is where you want me to be, this is where I'm at. For I am content with weakness. Paul's okay with weakness. Okay, fine, this is my struggle, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on in my life, this is what's happening. I will be content with weakness, with insults, with hardship, with persecutions, with calamities. What the heck is a calamity? Any and everything that doesn't go my way. Any and everything that doesn't make it all about me. Any and everything that maybe beats me. All of this stuff, weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions. Who's signing up for that? Who wants all of that? Like, like this is one of those places, like, like if, if there was an erasable Bible. Paul, maybe we should use some different verbiage here for a second. I mean, has, has he, does he, the man's off his rocker, is he not? I mean, to love Jesus that much that he says, you know what, my weakness, this is it. Whether it's in this, calamities, whether it's in uh, uh, insults, hardships, all of that stuff. And he says all that to give us this little little statement at the the end where he says this. He says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because Christ is magnified all the more. Why? Because my reliance and my dependency is not on me and my self-sufficiency, but my reliance and my dependency is upon that of Jesus. Is upon that of Jesus. Some of the greatest times of spiritual growth and breakthrough in my life has been in the most difficult, uncomfortable, horrific times in my life. Horrific times. Things that are uncomfortable, things that I don't like, things that, that, that break me down. Why? Because what God is doing in his grace and his mercy and his love is just showing me the areas of my life that I need to put attention to. And I've given you this illustration. It's like the dude at the gym that never does legs. I mean, he walks around like this. He's got these little chicken legs. It's like, bro, those things are going to break off. Do some squats. Calf raises something. And so what God does is in his grace and his mercy and in his love, what he does is he points to us and says, Scott, you need to do some legs. And this is the area you need to do it in. This is some weakness in you. It's going to hurt. You're not going to like it. It's going to be uncomfortable. But let me tell you what it's going to accomplish in you down the road, brother. It's going to help you mature. It's going to help you grow. And it's going to sting. And then usually what God does, and I love this about God, usually because he's so much smarter and greater and bigger than we are, what he does is is he doesn't put people all the time in our life that's so much better at everything with us. But what he does is he allows us to go through stuff. And then what does he do? He brings somebody else that's struggling with the same thing. I've walked that road. Now I can pour into them. I've walked that road. Now I, can, now I can help them and walk with them and encourage them and pray for them and share some of the things that God's done in my life. Man, there is power in that, church. If we'd quit celebrating what we're so good at and start being honest about what breaks us and tears us up, imagine what the church could be. Imagine what we could do for the glory and honor of Christ. You want to be strong, get weak. You want to be strong, get weak. That's what he's saying So if we can just be well pleased with our weakness, we'll lay down the weight of self-sufficiency by placing our burdens on God who cares for us. And so while we run, we look to Jesus who ran the race before us and we trust the Spirit to empower us in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The third and last sign of Christian maturity is this, is we turn the me to the we. We turn the me to the we. The last sign of Christian maturity is we take the spotlight off of me and we turn it to the one that it belongs to and we turn it to, to, to the others. Luke 9, 23 says this. Then he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking. And he says to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires, now we desire a lot of things in our world today, don't we? We desire a lot of things. We have a long, a lot of realities. And the reality here in this first part is, is this, if anyone comes after me, desires to come after me, 
And what I've learned and what's heartbreaking and what should crush us every time is that, the, is that little if part because not everybody will come after him. Not everybody will want him. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe not everybody. So you've got this large group gathering and this is easy. But I guess my question of going after him is how do you do at work? How do you do at home? How do you do in the class? How do you do with friends? How do you do in the secretness of your home when you're by yourself? And so Jesus is very, very serious when it comes to being his. If anyone desires to come after me. See, Jesus has high requirements and expectations. If you're going to belong to him and be a part of who he is and be a part of, of the church and be a part of him, he goes after the heart and motives. Look at what he says. If anyone desires to come at it for me, let him what? Deny himself. Deny himself. And church, this is where maturity really starts to get real. This is where maturity starts to sting. How is our culture and our world at denying ourselves? We're not very good at it. We are horrific at it, aren't we? Even in the church, we're bad about denying ourselves. What Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of me, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourselves. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Your wants, your desires, it'll never be about you. The very reason why we gather in this place is to do what? Make much of Jesus. And I've said it over and over and over. The music is not about you. Uh, the preaching is not about you. Uh, the lights is not about you. The carp is not about you. The seats are not. None of this is about us. It's about making much and pointing to Jesus. That's what all of this is about. All of it. So we gather to make much of Jesus. Man, my hope and my heart is that we walk away closer to Jesus, wanting Jesus more. That we walk away less self-consumed and more Jesus-consumed. Being more obedient. Being closer to Christ. Loving him more to the point where your selfish desires are set aside. And so I just believe one of the issues in the church is that we've never got over that. That it's all about us. It's all about me. Me, me, me. My, my, my. And what that does is shows a lack of maturity. Which is fine. That's good. I mean, I've got a seven-year-old. And guess what he acts like? A seven-year-old. And that's quite all right because it's my job as a dad. It's my job as a parent to do what? To help him mature. To show him I am doing a work in this boy one day. To show him and make him the strongest believer that I possibly can pouring into him and modeling and showing even to the point of where when dad like this week dad blew it this week dad, dad just blew it I just kind of lost my cool with him I'd finally had it and I just kind of blew up a little bit and so then what do I do he needs to be strong right let him let him just wallow in it for a little bit let him figure it out I'm a man I'm gonna treat like a man I'm gonna just, I'm, that's what I'm gonna do no 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 I didn't do that why because dad was wrong and hear me dads if you're in the room it's okay to be wrong Actually, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. You're probably wrong a lot more than you think you are. You following? And I don't care if your kids are in the house or outside of the house. You're probably, probably wrong more than you think you are. I'm just going to leave that there. Let the Holy Spirit do with what he needs to. So in this particular case, and this happens a lot in my house, me just being wrong. And so in that, what do I do? And I go to him. I'm like, look, buddy, we need to talk. And I just share with him, Daddy was short here. Daddy got, let his temper get the best of him. Daddy probably said things that he shouldn't have said to you, and I'm sorry. And so I, why? Because I'm wanting to model and show for him what a dad looks like. I'm wanting to model and show for him what a strong believer of a man looks like. And when I'm wrong, I want to admit it. When I need to do better, I want to admit it. In front of my kids, in front of my wife, I don't care in front of whoever. I mean, I, I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to prove. There's nobody that I'm trying to impress other than Jesus, living for his glory and for his honor. So who cares what, you mean you apologize? That's weakness. You're dang right. Did you not just remember what I just read? I want to be as weak as I possibly can because what I've learned is that's whenever I'm strong and mighty. Why? Because it's God living in me and working and doing in me and not Scott doing because Scott is puny. Scott is fragile. Scott's going to mess everything up, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. He, he does it perfectly and right and good every time. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to, to help my boy walk in that. So when we have socks behind chairs, as petty as that is, I want to teach him why. Because I'm wanting him to raise up and be this ferocious man of God. I don't care if he makes millions. I don't care if he doesn't make anything. I don't care where he ends up, who he marries, any of that stuff. That's secondary. I want him to be a ferocious man after God's heart. That's what I want and desire for him. So everything I'm doing right now is pouring into that reality. 
And church, that's what we're to be about. That's what we're to do. And so it's not about styles. It's not about likes. It's not about what this group does or doesn't do, what the color of the carpet is. Goofy things like that will start to matter more than God being made much of and lives being changed. It's about God and his glory. And that's what Jesus says. We've got to deny ourselves. You want to see how mature you are? How much do you make it about you? How much is life about you? How much is church about you? How much is things about you? You want to really see how mature you are? How others focused are you? And look at what he says next. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and then do what? Take up his cross. What do we know about the cross? The cross is a violent, degrading death. That's what the cross is. But this is a picture of total surrender. Total surrender. Laying down your life. Jesus just hemming home this reality that it's not about you, not about you, not about you. When you're dead, you're dead. And what's the response of a dead person? There is no response. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Die to self. That's what you do. Take up your cross. And then he says this daily, every moment of every day. That's what we're to do. Die to self. Die to self. And once you are dead to you, then look at what you can do. Once you've denied yourself and you've died to self. Look at what can happen. Now follow me. You can't follow both. I just want that to sit there for a second. We can't follow both. We can't follow self and follow Jesus because the two are opposed. The flesh and the desires of the heart apart from Christ don't match up. And anyway, there are times in believers' lives where I can get real selfish and I can get real Scott-centered and I can get real Scott-focused. And so I always have to succumb and come under the authority of Jesus. And the only way that I can do that is whenever I deny myself and I, and I die to self and then I get to just do it. I just get to follow him. I go where he would go. I live like he would live. I talk like he would talk. I act like he would act. I put it into practice and I live it out. Are you being led by Christ or are you trying to lead him around? Are you being led by him or are you trying to lead him around? As followers of Jesus, we, he must dictate every area of our life, every facet of our life. We never, ever disconnect from being a, a follower of Jesus. And so the more spiritually mature you are, the more others focused you'll be, the more in tune with Jesus you'll be. So as the band comes back up, I just want to ask a few questions as we close out. Just a few questions. Where's your joy? Not happiness, but where's your joy? Is it in that of Christ? Is it in Jesus? Where's your strength found? Is it found in you? Or is it found in your weakness? And in your weakness, you make much of Jesus. And as you make much of Jesus, he strengthens you and he pushes you and propels you through. Where's your strength found? The next question I'd ask you is this. Are you denying yourself? Are you denying yourself? Maybe a good way to ask that is this. What has your relationship with Jesus cost you? What does it cost you? What does following Jesus cost you? And I know at salvation it costs us a lot, but let me even ask it like this. What has your relationship with Jesus cost you this week? Because I believe if we're following and pursuing, it's gonna cost us stuff, and it's gonna cost us stuff weekly. It's gonna cost us comfort. It's gonna cost us our own desires. It's gonna cost us relationships. It's gonna cost us a multitude of things. So what is your relationship with Jesus costing you? The next question I ask you is this. Are you taking up your cross daily? You're taking up your cross daily. What did that death and obedience look like this week? Did it cause you to have to get out of your comfort zone and share, share your faith with somebody, share your testimony with somebody? Did it cause you to have to get out of your comfort zone and maybe even hit you in the wallet and you bought lunch for somebody for the sole purpose of being able to have conversation? Has it cost you to get out of your comfort zone and approach somebody and say, hey man, can, I would love to have your number just to give you a call one day and I'd love to go get something to eat. And maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not your strong suit or strong point. But what does following Jesus cost you? Because it's going to cost you something. And I don't believe it just costs you something way back at salvation. It is going to cost you something every moment of every day. Why? Because we fight the flesh daily, church. And the last thing I would ask you is this. Are you imitating, following, being changed into the image of Christ? Are you imitating, following, and being changed into the image of Jesus? Maybe a way to ask that is this. How do you look less like you and more like Jesus? We should be more loving. We should be more gracious. We should be more focused. We should be, we should be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And I'm not saying there's not going to be times of slippage. I mean, we're all going to slip. 
There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be two steps forward and three steps back. And there's going to be three steps forward and one step. I mean, it's, it, it, that's just, it's, that's how life is. That's how we have to battle and fight. But are you more like Jesus now than you've ever been? And that answer should be yes. If not, there's an issue. There's a problem. You're not doing the other things. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's stirring in your heart. But my prayer, my desire is this, is that we grow to be a church that matures and grows. That we grow and we be a church that is, that we are so weak because in our weakness only God can do it. I pray that we grow to be a church that denies self. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my desires. Do you know the heartbeat behind this church is to see people know Jesus and grow in their relationship with Christ. And so every single thing that we do is going to be pointed to that. Every single ministry that we have, every single thing that we do, that's going to be the driving force behind who we are and what we try to accomplish and what we try to do. That's where our energy and effort is going to go. So I don't know what God's spoken to you, what he stirred in your heart, but I want you to be obedient this morning. So if you need to come pray, come pray. If you need to go talk to somebody, you go talk to somebody. If you need to go encourage somebody, go encourage somebody. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're on the fence about what this relationship thing with Jesus even looks like. I mean, I would love to talk more about what that looks like and means. I mean, you just be obedient to however Jesus leads in this moment. Father, we need you. We love you. God, I mean it. You're the greatest desire and treasure to be had. God, help us get there. God, help me get there. Oh, God, help me get there. And so, God, I pray you just move in the midst of your people and you change hearts. God, I pray for the one here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that you'd save them and rescue them. God, I pray for the one here that's struggling with growing and maturing. God, I pray that you would, you would press through and help them break those chains of bondage. God, for the one who thinks that they're strong, God, I pray that you would show them how weak they are, God, so that you can be strong in them. God, help us deny self. Help us to die to self and help us follow you in everything. It's your name we pray. Amen. They're going to lead us. You stand and you be obedient to Jesus.